0: Hi, this is Denise Crosby, and you're listening to Women at Warp.
1: Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. Today here with me are crew members, Andy. Hello. And Jarrah. I'm here for your job. Get used to it. <laughs> oh, no.
2: <laughs> so it's like, you can have it. Whatever.
1: <laughs> the job of podcasting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so today, if that wasn't enough of a hint, we will be talking about Lieutenant Commander Shelby. But first, we have our housekeeping. Uh, as I mentioned it the very beginning of the show, Women at Warp is now a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. We are part of the new Roddenberry Podcast Network, along with Mission Log and the Priority One podcast.
0: It's pretty exciting. So welcome to new listeners who may have discovered us through Roddenberry, and for our Uh, listeners who have been with us for a long time, uh, rest assured that you can expect the same format, content, and viewpoints that we've always put together. It's a a good move that will hopefully help all three of our podcasts reach a new audience. And um, we're excited that uh, we're, you know, part of this partnership with two podcasts
1: that we respect a lot. Yep, and we will all be maintaining, as usual, our own social media websites, Patreon. Uh, So we will remain mostly independent in that way, but linked together through the network. So we're really looking forward to what's going to come of this. Yeah, for sure.
0: And speaking of Patreon, Mm -hmm. if you would like to support our podcast... Uh, you can visit patreon.com slash women at warp and pledge a small monthly donation that helps us do things like pay for our audio hosting and equipment and getting to conventions and doing convention reporting and uh, in exchange you get access to exclusive patron only content so head on over to patreon.com slash women at warp and support us if you can and thanks to everyone who's already a patron
1: and if you'd like to support us but spend $0, uh, we would appreciate iTunes ratings and reviews. R- ratings and reviews in iTunes are what help uh, push the show up in rankings and help other people discover new podcasts. So if you have a few minutes, please head on over to iTunes, give us a rating and or review. And then finally, our last bit of housekeeping is the Women at Warp book club. And we have just selected our next book club pick, which is The Worlds of DS9, Book 1, which has been recommended to us by several listeners. So we're excited to, to get into that and discuss a little bit more about the different cultures that we see in Deep Space Nine.
0: Yeah, it's got two parts by two different women authors. The first is Una McCormack's uh, look at Cardassia, and the second is Heather Jarman's look at Andor. So it's pretty exciting. Join us over at Goodreads and just search Women at Warp in
1: the groups, and you will find us and can join the discussion. All right, then let's get on to Lieutenant Commander Elizabeth Shelby. We see her in only two episodes, Best of Both Worlds Parts 1 and 2, but she I think it's fair to say, has made a pretty big impact on people. A lot of people saying this is, she is their favorite character, or at least a very influential character.
2: Yeah, she's kind of like Ro in the sense that Ro's only in eight episodes, but feels like she's in the whole show. Shelby is in two episodes and feels like she's in like at least more than two. She makes a bigger impact than two episodes would suggest.
0: Yeah, and there was a possibility that she might have gone on longer because, you know, for people who aren't familiar with what was happening behind the scenes at the time, this the episode that she enters in is Best of Both Worlds Part 1, where at the end, spoilers, Picard becomes a Borg. And (gasps) part of that was they didn't know if Patrick Stewart was going to be on for the next season. So a lot of what happened in the first episode was written Without knowing what was going to happen in the second episode. Basically, they put it away and said, okay, well, let's see if we get Patrick Stewart back and then we'll write the second one after we film the first one. So, um, Elizabeth Dennehy, who played Shelby, said that, you know, she didn't know if she was going to be like a love interest for Riker. She didn't know if she was going to be the first officer in the rest of the series or really what was going to be happening. Um, so. You can, in some ways, I think that that adds because they had to put in uh, a lot of kind of different ways of interpreting her character, but she really had to make a huge impact right off the bat.
2: They had to set her up in case they needed to use her more. Yep. So I, I don't like the idea of them having of being a love interest. I really liked their like combative, professional relationship of pushing each other to be better. Like that, that to me is way better. But.
1: Well, and this idea that they didn't know what they were going to end up doing with her, they didn't have one course for this character, sort of forced them to give her a lot more depth. Yeah. You know, because any way they eventually decided to go, if they were going to continue to use this character, they had to have some hint to it in, in the first few episodes. So there were so many different pieces to her right from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. The
2: thing that I like most about her introduction is that they make a point of explaining to us in numerous ways that this is one competent woman.
0: Yes. The thing I don't like about her introduction (laughs) is creepy old Admiral Hanson. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's basically like... I uh, mean, he starts out, it starts out good. He's like, you know, I've learned to let her have a wide latitude. Basically, she's super awesome. She's super intelligent. She's an expert on the Borg. And then he goes, keep your eye on her, Jean-Luc. She's one very impressive young lady, which is like a little Ugh. condescending, but like, okay. And then Picard goes, you seem rather taken with her, JP. And Hanson goes, just an old man's fantasy. So gross. <laughs> Creepy old dude. Stop ogling your subordinate women. Gross. Word. It's kind of, it kind of reminded me of in, like, Code of Honor, where Picard has to point out, like, three times that Yara's hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of, like, it just, it makes it harder, uh, like, it may, this also makes me really glad she didn't end up with Raker because when just like the way we're trained in our culture is when you start off seeing a woman as like a sexual or a love interest for one of the key male characters, it becomes like the main thing you define them by, it. and it's mm-hmm. harder for you to see how kick-ass competent and expert they are. So I'm glad that they didn't reinforce it really after creepy Admiral Hansen time.
2: <laughs> uh, I love the way creepy Admiral Hansen-, Hansen time sounds like a really, really terrible children's show. <laughs>
1: there (laughs) there is though in in part two like it just it feels like such an awkward scene because you know picard is with the borg they don't have him back yet and shelby is essentially gunning for to, to be officially named as first officer for for this point in time and Riker, like, gets his flirty smile on and he's like, you really are ambitious, aren't you? And I'm like, this is not the time to be flirting. I don't think Riker <laughs>
2: can turn that off, Sue. I think that that's just his go-to move.
1: There are way more important things going on. Like, I don't know, it feels a little weird and inappropriate. <laughs>
0: I think it was meant to kind of indicate a shift that, like, once he was in the captain's chair, he appreciated what it how important it was to be challenged, whereas when he was in the first officer's position in episode one, he saw her as a threat pressuring him. Yeah. And threatening his position and pressuring him somewhere he wasn't really ready to go.
1: No, I think you're right. I just like just the way it's shot. It's I think it's weird.
2: just his face. He's got that that twinkle <laughs> in his eye.
1: Like, I don't know.
2: Like he just always has that He's got vibe. The to me it just read as like fond. And I think it was a necessary moment for both of them to kind of like, okay, we're going to put this kind of weird competition behind us and work together now and I appreciated that.
1: But if we jump back to the first episode, the weird competition doesn't really start until she outright says that she's coming for a job. <laughs>
2: Which yeah. I appreciate, to be honest. No backstabbing here. Just, I'm going to look you right in the eye and be like, bro, your job, I want it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're just chatting, like, this, Come, come play poker with us. This is what we do on this ship. And then, like, I want this job. And he's like, what job? Your job, weirdo. Like. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, clearly Admiral Hansen has wanted this to happen, and I don't want to speculate why, but like, uh, you know, he's like, he super respects her, he thinks that she'd be a great addition, he thinks Rikers passed up too many commands, so obviously he's been feeding her, like, this is just what's gonna happen, and we're gonna go there, and I'm gonna sell you to Picard, like, not, (laughs) very very metaphorically, metaphorically, I'm gonna touch you as a good, Good first officer. Um, so, like, you can see where she would have that idea. And then she comes out really bluntly and says it. And then she does, like, another, another like, fair number of things to kind of irk Riker. Like, she mm-hmm. leaves early on an away mission with Data against his orders and doesn't yeah, tell him cool. and Geordi. And then I think, like, probably the time when the audience is probably least sympathetic with her is when um, she, like, goes behind Riker's back. Like, Riker assures her he'll take her perspective to the captain and she, like, doesn't believe him and goes straight to the captain herself. But overall, like, most of the time she's right. And, uh, like, later on Riker is forced to admit that she has had, you know, some right ideas on things.
2: The way she plays that, it makes me feel like she has had this issue in the past. And yes. she's expecting Riker to react similarly. I don't know if I'm reading too much mm-hmm. into it, but as someone who has strong opinions and it really bothers me when people don't agree with me, I can, <laughs> I can be sympathetic to her. Like, she's worried that her perspective is not going to be seen and that people could... Like, that could end badly for all of them. And I... I un- I get that, you know, it's just, we know Riker, so it's, and, you know, you're kind of automatically as an audience member set up to be on his side because, you know, hey, we've been sailing around with him and his awesome space beard for a long time now, and, you know, we are naturally inclined to be on his side in, in any sort of competition with some outsider
1: Mm -hmm. Right, and she's certainly in the position where she is an expert, and everyone is telling us that she's an expert, but people aren't listening to her. And I I mean, I don't know about you two, but I've certainly been in that position professionally from time to time, where like it is my job to know about this thing. You're asking me about it, and then you're not taking my advice, and it's oh, frustrating. It's very frustrating. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I've, I've also had that feeling that someone is going to misrepresent your opinion to mm-hmm. a superior. Absolutely. For sure. So I also got her side on that. Even though, like you said, we know Riker and, um, we know that he would have, you know, probably honestly represented her opinion to the captain besides the captain didn't agree with her anyway. But I totally get why, like, someone would feel like would not a hundred percent trust that their opinion was going to be represented fairly, and it's a life or death situation. Because,
2: you know, when people didn't listen to me in my professional experience, it was more along the lines of, maybe that sewer won't be put in correctly. Not along the lines of, the human race might go extinct. So, the stakes are a bit (laughs) higher for her than they are for me.
0: (laughs) Well, and I, I kind of think that it was Picard's job to correct her in that situation and he kind of did he said you know i absolutely agree with you number one um rather than rikers to then like take her into the turbo lift and tell her he was going to snap her back so hard she would think she was a cadet or something
1: that was very uncomfortable
0: yeah i was like that is i don't know how you would do that but whatever that is that's like seems like kind of a big threat for Mm -hmm. what happened
2: i think what's happening with riker is that she's hitting on all his insecurities and yep. so that makes him maybe react in a in you know stronger than he might have if he was feeling more his easygoing self um and i actually really like that they use shelby as kind of like this mirror for riker for him to take a moment and you know what do you want will riker like what are your plans you need to reevaluate what you want from your career and your life. And I think it's, they have such a cool dynamic. I really dig it.
0: Yeah. And I also like that they repeatedly remind us that Riker used to be like how Shelby is behaving. Like Picard Mm -hmm. mentions it. And then later Riker agrees uh, that this is how he used to be. And he kind of misses that part of himself. I think it works well with his character arc, but it also helps to counter this, Um, sort of the gender double standard you get around, like, quote-unquote ambitious women. And this, like, that it it is generally less positive to be seen as an ambitious woman versus an ambitious man. Like, women are just supposed to be, like, pleasant and wait for someone to hand them
1: the place. And I kept waiting for that to crop up when I was rewatching this, and it really never does.
2: You know, it kind of reminds me of Lower Decks in some ways. There are a lot of the same dynamics at play in Lower Decks. Um, Riker being a little bit mm, standoffish to someone who is very similar to him. And then also in that case, you have Cito, uh not really fighting for her position. Not kind of falling into that whole ambitious woman thing. Whereas here we have Shelby who makes no excuse for her, her ambition, and really, she shouldn't be.
0: Yeah. There's um a cool interview at StarTrek.com with Elizabeth Dennehy, who was asked, like, what did you like about playing Shelby? And she said, I like that she didn't let the protocol get in the way of doing the job. She didn't care about dis- diplomacy. She saw what she had to do and wasn't going to let anyone stop her from solving the problem that she was brought on board to solve. Some people come up to me at conventions and say... Oh, you are such a bitch. I couldn't play her like that. I had to see her side and her side was, you have a problem and I'm here to solve it. And she was right. So I always look at Shelby as the kid in school who got straight A's, had her arm in the air and was saying, pick me, pick me. She knew all the answers and didn't care if people resented her for it.
2: Hermione. She's Hermione.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, yeah. And I mean, it's important because so much like girls are trained to try to like rein in their overt skills and intelligence to not threaten men. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even me, when I was in high school, I would like, talk to my mom about having problems, uh, you know, finding a boyfriend, and she'd be like, Oh, you're just too smart. And she meant that as a compliment. But like, the way that my high school brain took that was I should be less smart. And those messages are, like, over over, and over in society, too. So it was cool to see Shelby be like, I'm smart. I want your job. I deserve your job. I'm going to get it. I'm solving your problem. And most of the time, she yeah. was, like, pretty justified.
2: She's a refreshing character.
1: She probably could have cared more about diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting to see. She's, I mean, we see her break protocol, and we see... The Admiral say, to give her a wide latitude, kind of let her do what she wants, and yet in in text and in when we get to her character in the novels, she's described so often as being by the book mm. And I don't know why that is. I think that maybe it her rigidity is not the right word, but her own like conviction maybe mm-hmm. makes people assume that by the book is the right thing because she's sure of what she wants to do. Mm. But she's definitely not by the book. She would she wouldn't be in the position she's in when we meet her if she was.
0: No, for sure. I mean she's certainly like the part where she justifies why she went down to the planet early and she's just like, We had this window of opportunity, data was available, I just took him, what's the big deal? And like, besides like, here we have this report with all this useful information and um I mean, probably could have woken up Riker first, but the point is, like, she's, um, you know, she's doing things very, just like, as a, as a problem solver, like she says. Mm-hmm.
2: I think one of the reasons why I like her is because she has kind of the same sort of straightforwardness in, to, towards problem solving that I have, which is like, here's the problem, make the plan, execute the plan. Just very mm-hmm. one, two, three about it, and uh, I dig it. I, I like her. I think she's fun to watch, and I think she brings out great things in our regular characters.
1: And she doesn't want to deal with all the paperwork and red tape to to fix the problem. She just wants to go do yeah. it. Mm-hmm.
2: In this first episode, I also want to bring up both Guinan and Troy, because mm-hmm. they both mm. have several scenes where they're especially Troy, I think, is doing her job again and being extremely useful in her professional capacity. When she's advising Riker, and he's like, is this, you know, my... And I love the way she's repeating his questions back to him and um, forcing him to answer them for himself, but it's very much how do you feel <laughs> kind of and it made me yeah. made me laugh but it was like so nicely done and she's got such a a great relationship with him and it was it was cool to see that aspect in this episode and they took the time to do that i liked
0: that mhm yeah. well in in part 2 giden has an important role where she has to you know encourage riker to not cling to his past ideas and what he's learned from Picard, but to kind of come into his own and assume the captain's chair and to come up with new creative ideas to defeat the Borg.
1: Troy is also really instrumental in that when I think at the prompting, if you will, of Shelby is ready to go over to the Borg ship and lead the away team and get him back. And just like she reminded him that he is older and wiser and more seasoned, which he hated, <laughs> um, she reminds him that he is now the captain and he's responsible for everybody on that ship. And that's not his place anymore. And it just reflects what he's going through, you know, emotionally, internally, in his career, and the immediate situation that they're facing on the ship. Yeah, and then Shelby has to lead the away team and she does a great job.
2: I'd also like to point out that we finally see Crusher be a badass. They give her a phaser instead of a flower pot, and she just <laughs> goes buck wild with it. It's great.
0: Instead of a Scottish sex candle. <laughs> oh, wait, that was later. Um, well, so was the, the pot, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, Crusher has a lot of good stuff in both both episodes. So, episode two, like, Shelby... Uh, well, I guess Shelby comes back in episode one, but she gets sort of a compliment in episode two about how she's done a great job leading the OA team. Then there's a bit of a sort of hiccup moment where Hansen sort of accuses her of implying that Picard is, like, helping the Borg voluntarily somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was really what was intended. Like, I think what we see from her is she's – she's maybe, like – she's very, very confident and, yeah, not very diplomatic – And maybe doesn't always think about the exact words that come out of her mouth and, like, trying to be the most sensitive all the time. But certainly, she's not the only person on the ship who has that issue. So (laughs) it's one of those, like, you know, trying to get us to stretch our ideas of what's acceptable for a woman in Starfleet, I guess.
2: Especially a woman in command.
0: Yeah, and then she's, like, in engineering, doing all this techno babble and knowing all this stuff that's going on, and that's pretty cool. Um, she's, you know, detecting Borg footprints, she's realigning phasers, so she's clearly got a lot of skills.
2: I like how, whenever a thing hits the fan, she runs up to Data and is like, try this, like... This ability mm-hmm. to think outside the box and also the confidence to implement her plans. It's just, it's really cool to see.
1: And yeah. it is a bit of a precursor to what we see in Janeway, I feel like. Mm-hmm. That, that was very Janeway where this isn't working, Captain. Well, why don't you try this? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's also very different from what we see on TNG because, I mean, Picard has a science background, but in archaeology. So when his engineers come to him and say, this isn't working, Captain, he's like, well, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's no advice. Just figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's very hands on. Yeah, And we uh, find out in some of the books a little bit more of her backstory. And before she uh, became sort of in the command track and the Borg specialist, she was a chief engineer on the USS Yosemite. That makes so sense. She does have that engineering background and makes total sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. I guess I also um wanted to... Or I guess I want to ask. So in the... You know, we only see her for these two episodes. She has a major presence. But obviously, like, 90% of it is demonstrating her competence and gunning for Riker's job. Like, really, the only th- time we see her not doing that is the poker scene. And even then, she's, like, beating Riker at poker. <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of fun. <laughs> so I, I, I was, like, trying to think about... You know, how we would imagine, I, I still feel, though, like, we got enough of Shelby to imagine that she's someone that would have, like, a, a social life. Just even maybe from the poker scene alone that we know that she, like, hangs out with fellow crew members and, like, has fun with people. Like, she's not so career-oriented that she can't think of anything else.
2: Yeah. I do think it's funny that they used poker because, first of all, poker has such a deeper meaning for next generation, especially. But also, poker is such a like a traditionally masculine sort of game. So I always find it very fun to to watch the women play and play well. We get to see Troy and Crusher do that occasionally, and Troy is is actually doing the dealing in this game, uh, which is nice to see. But I, there's just something about her bluffing Riker out in poker that is just too perfect. And his reaction to it is pretty great.
0: And also we just get an epic Wesley facepalm where he folds and then Jordy's like, that was really dumb. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, <laughs> does the facepalm that has become a, a gif or a jif or would like to say it, that will be live on memorialized on the internet forever when you search Star Trek. What is baseball. he doing
1: there? He's an acting ensign at the senior staff poker game.
0: I feel like they cast him in the episode and they just felt like they wanted to get their money's worth. <laughs> so they get like they have him do a facepalm in the poker scene and then later they order him to maybe kill everyone on the ship, including himself, and he hesitates and then <laughs>
2: Uh, he does come up with the idea of the deflector dish, though all right, so he's he's there for for multiple reasons, face palming and deflector dishing and stuff. I always love seeing episodes with Will Wheaton in them because he's just too adorable to me, and I know that a lot of people have issues with the character of Wesley Crusher, and I get that, but I also just love him, and I just think he's too cute <laughs> yes. and Him just epically biffing it in poker (laughs) just makes sense to me. I would never think Wesley would be good at poker. Never.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's good to see something he's not good at once in a while. (laughs) I guess. Makes him more real.
1: We were talking before about the uncertainty of what was going to happen in season four and if Shelby was going to stick around. And it keeps coming back to me that it would have been such a departure for the next generation. Because, yeah, we have two really competent women on the show, but as we've said over and over again, they're both in these, like, caretaking roles and these, like, nurturing, mothering. And if, just imagine the addition of Shelby in this really confident leadership role, it would have changed the show entirely and sort of makes me wonder how things would have been different if Yar had stuck around. Mm-hmm.
2: I do think it could have worked just based on these two episodes. As much as it would have hurt a lot to lose Patrick Stewart, I oh, for I sure. could totally watch a show with Captain Riker and First Officer Shelby, especially
0: if they didn't get involved. Yes, no, 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 making out. And maybe we should like maybe we should talk a bit about that because I don't like. <laughs> So why is it, why do we all think that's a bad idea?
2: Because I like their relationship the way it is.
1: Well, and Because also it's it's such a trope. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Especially with uh, them starting
0: out, like, fighting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like the Roe thing. They do it again with Roe.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and she reminds him of himself, which is a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> but let me date girl me. <laughs> i i
2: so my mind went so to a wrong place where i was like picturing her with a beard and <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna go further into that maybe i'll write that fanfic
0: someday thomas Riker could date her <laughs>
1: <laughs> but maybe it's me projecting but i always get disappointed when this like totally kick-ass uh, woman character is introduced and she's ambitious and driven and super smart and is that's all acknowledged and then like something happens and she just becomes the love interest. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes such a huge part of her character. And I'm always like, why? Like I realize mm. that is a part of life for many people, but like that's not the only part of it. Neither is your career, but it just, it happens so frequently in TV all the time and just stop, stop it. Yeah.
0: And, like I said, it, like, subsumes everything else about the woman, just the way mm-hmm. that our society views them. Like, it's how we see in obituaries where you get, like, this, you know, Nobel Prize winning woman who's, like, the first line in their obituary is, like, wife of so-and-so who made an amazing meatloaf.
1: No. <laughs> no, stop it.
0: And, like, those are maybe important things, but, you know, maybe the nash international media that wrote that should have focused more on like the thing that was key to them like they would have for a male obituary so it's like this different there is a bit of a standard where it's like a man can have a wife but still be seen as that their professional role or like have a you know have a romantic interest but a woman when she's in a position especially when the guy is her superior it's like that's the most important thing about her
2: I also think that there's something to that trope where it's, especially if you start with a contentious relationship or an ambitious woman, it's, like, a way to tame her, almost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, I think that's one reason why I reject that so much for the idea of Shelby and Riker hooking up just makes me go, meh.
0: Well, and then also you can imagine, like, what would happen if things went wrong? And he's her captain, so, I mean... There's the whole, like, superior officer thing that's been visited in a few episodes, although rarely between captain and first officer, except maybe Voyager. That's it for another episode. Um, but with, you know, just imagine things went sour. And from what I see... There's still a bit of a boys club in Starfleet. The fact that, you know, Hanson and Picard can have kind of this like little weird conversation about Shelby at the beginning to me indicates that we know Riker's a good guy. But if he wasn't and if he wanted to kind of like sabotage her career going forward, he could have done that because he's her captain. Mm -hmm. So it's just not probably a smart idea anyway for them to really let that happen.
2: I mean, that's kind of why I was weirded out by him and Roe, for similar reasons. I was just like, but why? But why?
0: I will say that it's in, cause so it just occurred to me that I haven't really had the same qualms with, like, Troy being Riker's first officer in the Titan novels. But maybe that's because it seems like such a huge step up for Troy compared to what she got in the series, and there is a lot of discussion about the possible conflicts and awkwardness of serving directly underneath your spouse. So anyway, just I was just thinking about that. I'm like, well, maybe it's maybe there's occasions where it would not bother as much as this, but this this would bother.
2: The other thing with Riker and Troy is that they've proven that they can survive the end of their relationship and also that they can handle each other dating other people and right. all of the kind of mm-hmm. pitfalls. They've already proven themselves in that way. Yeah.
1: There's 20 plus years of history of yeah. them serving on the same ship. And the the same thing goes for Picard and Crusher in the relaunch novels. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's true.
2: By the way, Sue, when, um, when Crusher sees Borgified Picard, I thought of you and I was <laughs> like, Of course
1: you did. Oh my <laughs> God. There's
2: John uh, Luke
1: she tries to run for him it's so sad
2: (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine though having to leave your boy behind like that see him in that way and then have to be like all right uh (laughs) that would be so awful
1: no but that's always kind of bothered me about this episode and not just her but that entire away team I feel like when they come back and they go and they talk to Riker about what happened over there, that they should all be more upset. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, there's professional and then there's unrealistic. Right.
1: And I think that is handled, I know we're not talking about it, but I think it's handled way better in Chain of Command. Uh, yes. Where they similarly end up leaving him behind. And, but, like, there's actual emotion there for someone you care about. So. hmm
2: I have to ask Sue, When you first watched this, did you watch it live? Yes. And you were just as much of a shipper at that point, I imagine, if not more so.
1: I would, I would say yes, but also very young.
2: Uh, I was just wondering because I was like, if 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 I were a, a card crusher shipper <laughs> and I saw that, and then I had to wait like three months or whatever to find out what happened, I would lose my mind.
1: I mean, when was this? Nineteen ninety? 91? I was under 10. Yeah. (laughs) So, as much as I would have loved them together, I would have understood less at 10 (laughs) or under 10. What I can remember though (laughs) is my brother, who is 13 years older than me, had a viewing party for Best of Both Worlds Part 2. And he printed out a banner that he hung in our living room that said, Go Borg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And that—that that is my, like, my one significant memory from watching this episode live. <laughs> okay,
2: Sue's brother. That's a weird way to go, but okay.
1: Ugh. I was
0: five, and it scared the crap out of me. And I had nightmares all summer about the Borg,
1: and... I was really happy that they saved Picard. See, my brother's also the kind of guy, like, when we we have played, like, Star Trek board games, he would turn to people and say, so do you want to be the good guys or the Federation? So it's just his sense of humor.
2: (laughs) I was an adult, and I was first time Trekking it in, like, 2014 or something. And I completely lost it and just, like, cried into my couch. Jerry was upset. It was a whole thing. And it was also one of the most highly anticipated first time tracks. Like people asked me to. It was one of the only episodes I've ever scheduled, mm-hmm. so people could be there specifically instead of just being like, "Oh, I feel like it today." It was on a schedule, and um, people wow. had been waiting for it for a long time. And I think my reaction lived up to what they wanted because I freaked out. <laughs> Uh, And I was just like, but he's a Borg, but why? I was so
0: upset.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So when you have a bunch of people looking forward to you watching a particular episode, do you find that it puts more pressure on you to react strongly to that episode? Yes. Or are you just like, what is it that they want me to see the whole time?
2: (laughs) Yes, but luckily for the most part, my followers don't tell me whether or not they think I'll like it or not sometimes they will in that case it was more like we just can't wait to see how you react so that could be mm. good or bad because they were also really excited for me to see sub Rosa. <laughs> so i mean it really depends and i mean like when i was doing ds9 they were like we can't wait till you get to move along home mm. <laughs> one thing that i've noticed and is has always been interesting about the first time tracking is that sometimes people expect me to react and i don't because there are some things in fandom that get, like, super built up. And I am i wasn't there for the hype of it. I wasn't there, you know, when it was airing. And I just don't react in the same way that they expect me to. So that's happened a couple times, too. But, yeah, people were really excited for Best of Both Worlds. And I'd have to say that if I had to, like, rate the top five most intense live watches, number one would be Wrath of Khan. And Best of Both Worlds would definitely be up there. I'm still recovering from Wrath
0: of Khan. (laughs) (laughs) So, should we talk a bit about the non-canon appearances of Shelby? Because she made such a big impression. She's been in a lot of them. Oh my. Yes. The the books. So, I'm going to preface this by saying yeah it's been a really long time since I read these books, but like the the new frontier books, I think are the ones that feature her the mm-hmm. most. and, uh, they're by Peter David. And I remember I was working at the library in my hometown at the time, so I would have been in uh, I guess junior high school high school and uh i saw shelby like sitting in the captain's chair on the front of one of them and i was like i have to read this and then i was kind of like i remember at the time i read a few of them but i was i wanted more shelby and so i eventually stopped reading them and switched back to like voyager novels because i was more into voyager at that point but
1: it's cool that she was in more stuff (laughs) well there were a lot of new frontier books And they give her a lot of background. So, like, that's where the information about the USS Yosemite comes from. Apparently, in a video game, real quick, though, it for some reason mentions that Kirk slept with her great-great-great-grandmother, her (laughs) great-great-great-great-aunt, no, it gets better, and her great-great-grandmother. So, like, several generations of her (laughs) For some Wait, reason, is I don't Kirk a important. Scottish ghost candle too?
0: Uh,
2: I would love it if there was some iteration of Kirk that was an orgasm candle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and uh, when he uh, he seduces you, and he's just like, uh, I guess okay, like Elizabeth, I have <laughs> loved your ancestors' force so long.
2: Oh my god, somebody write that fanfic. <laughs> but seriously, though, like, why? Why? Why make it so he banged her whole family?
1: No, just just her great-great-great-grandmother, the sister, and the daughter. And wait, this was in one of the New Frontiers books? No, it's from one of the video games? Oh, right. Which sorry. video game? Oh, I closed the window. Like, Shipbuilder or something? i'll find it hold on it's so random (laughs) it's so random and weird if you look up the character on memory beta which is the the like memory alpha but for the video games and the books and the non-canon stuff it is the first line under her family james t kirk slept with her great-great-great-grandmother her great-great-great-great-aunt and her (laughs) great-great-grandmother What? Oh, and I was wrong. It's not a video game. It's from the New Frontiers novel Being Human.
0: Oh, okay. Well, maybe someone else can read that and let
1: us know <laughs> if it has no, now, it.
0: now you know what has
2: to happen. It has to be a book club. <laughs> we have so to weird. find out why yes. this happened.
1: <laughs> it leads me into the point that a lot of the stuff we learn about Shelby from the New Frontiers books feels very soap opera-y. Um, So we learned that at the Academy, she was dating this guy and then broke up with him and then was dating Mackenzie Calhoun, who is the captain that they focus on in these books. And then they were engaged and then they broke up. Right. And then she went off and did her stuff at the Yorktown and studied the Borg. And after... Uh, Best of Both Worlds was transferred to Starfleet headquarters, where she sort of oversaw the, the rebuilding of the fleet, which somehow only took a year. And then, I guess Mackenzie Calhoun, it's, it's such a silly name, I'm sorry, but it is. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: that actually was part of the reason I
1: switched.
2: Because you couldn't read Mackenzie Calhoun over and over and over again. I
0: couldn't take it that seriously. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Uh, But he sort of comes back into her life and she's serving under him on this ship. Yeah, like she's in, she's a
0: commander on a ship and the captain gets killed, I think. And Mackenzie Calhoun gets brought in as the new captain. And which kind of sucks, given that she was probably ready for a command
1: of her own by that point. But yeah, she was first officer on the USS Chekhov, which is a fun nod. Yes. And then the gets in a battle with the Borg and a doomsday machine and the ship is damaged and then Calhoun saves her and the ship and she winds up under his command and then there's another battle where the ship is destroyed and everybody escapes except for Calhoun so they assume he's dead and then after when she believes he's dead she admits that she really did still have feelings for him and then she's given command of another ship but finds that her quote by the book style doesn't work with them anymore, for some reason, and they're building another Excalibur, and at its like naming ceremony, Calhoun shows back up. Surprise! He had been marooned on a planet that he escaped from. And at the ceremony, he proposes to her, so she punches him in the face. Okay,
2: let me just say that these books sound amazing, and I can't <laughs> wait to read them. And second of all, every time you say Mackenzie Calhoun, all I can picture is Tom Selleck. And I don't know why, <laughs> but that's what I picture. I picture Tom Selleck yes. in like a, in in his Hawaiian shirt, like that's what I'm picturing. Well, luxurious so I was picturing, mustache. I'm picturing like a
0: bomber jacket.
2: Bomber jacket. Yeah, volumes. aviators.
1: Definitely. Totally. Yeah. But so she punches him in the face and then accepts his proposal, like you do. <laughs>
0: okay. Now I'm shipping Shelby
1: and Tom Selleck. <laughs> but you guys know it gets so much better. Their wedding is performed on the bridge of the Excalibur by Captain Picard. <laughs> oh.
2: Not Captain Kirk
1: <laughs>
2: Captain Kirk's Not ghost scandal. Her,
0: her third her third cousin, the illegitimate child of Captain <laughs> Kirk. Her great 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 grandchild of Captain oh. Kirk. oh Oh my gosh
1: wow but then Um, they get different commands so it's it's better i guess
0: i
2: really want to read these books now so that's gonna happen
1: yeah i mean i
0: i would give them another shot it was like i said i was i don't know 12 or something 13 when i started reading them i would totally give them another shot um especially if someone can vouch for that kirk one (laughs) There's also a lot of fan productions and fanfic. There's a fan production called Star Trek Hidden Frontier, which was is like an L.A.-based fan club made actually seven seasons of half an hour episodes, and you can see the seventh season on YouTube. It's basically, it's a lot of, um, they're like, costumes and makeup are fairly decent, and then it's like, the backgrounds are almost all green screened, and, um... There's a there's a lot of heart in it. And um, Shelby is the captain. Um, so, you know, it says something that this, you know, fan club decided we're going to make a whole series about Shelby, like seven seasons with Shelby as a captain is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And there are a few books that are outside of the New Frontiers realm and debatably a little bit closer to canon. Uh, she does appear in the novelization of All Good Things as mm-hmm. the future captain of the Yorktown, where she was previously chief engineer, according to New Frontiers. So as far forward as 2395, she's captaining a ship.
2: Anybody who watches Best of Both Worlds and doesn't know that she becomes a captain is wrong.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit surprising that she would still be a captain yeah, in the future that he sees.
2: I feel like it would have been cool if, in like seventh season DS nine, she becomes a shady admiral.
1: Admiral Shelby shows up. Yeah, Ad- admiral. Yeah, Shelby. Mm-hmm. She she does eventually become an admiral in the New Frontiers books, <laughs> I think. Or maybe that was a different timeline.
0: There's, no, I think there's that's a lot. Correct.
1: But also, she briefly shows up in the Destiny series in the the TNG relaunch books during the Borg crisis. So, even mm. though she's not a big part of the that timeline in those novels, which are debatably considered canon now, depending on who you talk to who I, they they did recognize that she is still a Borg expert, and they brought her in during that mm. that series. I did not remember that I mean it's very brief like she joins a conference by Skype essentially, <laughs> like over subspace, so
2: here's another fanfic prompt. For anybody who's looking for one, Admiral Shelby and Admiral Necheyev kicking ass together. Buddy cops.
0: Yes. There is another fanfic series that was like a long running serialized one called USS Sutherland, where Shelby becomes the captain of the USS Sutherland after previously serving on the unfortunately named USS Malcolm Reed, which (laughs) makes me so bitter. (laughs) Like, where is my USS Uhura? Like, I can't believe Malcolm Reed got a ship. <laughs> Reed alert. <laughs> but in this series, uh, she is best friends with Jadzia Dax. Because um, yes. she was friends with Jadzia, like, before she became linked or what's the word? Joined. Joined. Thank you. Um, and, um... In this series, um, according to like the Starfleet Extended Universe Wiki, she is a sexually adventurous individual who avoids serious romantic entanglements, preferring as a rule brief, casual sexual relationships to long-term commitments. And one of those is with Erica Benteen, who we talked about in our so that our women captains episode. No, oh. because she uh, she's in that Deep Space Nine where. They're on Earth, and she's working at Starfleet Academy, and she's played by the actress who played Leah Brahms. Her. So, apparently, they had a thing. As well as, you know, she,
1: in this series, she was also sleeping with men. See, I find that way more believable than this New Frontiers thing about, like, I love him, no I don't, yes I do. Yeah, I believe, I buy her being more, like, kind of, almost
0: like, Early Riker opportunistic a bit. For like, sure. Hey, I want to get off. That's cool. Um, and I mean, in some ways, that's it. It's cool because we talked about this a bit in the Janeway episode is there's this, there's this pressure that's a lot less now than it was, but certainly at the time TNG and up to, through Voyager was made. Um, this idea that like, if you want to respect a woman in command, um you ha- they have to be like morally upright and that includes staying away from romantic in- or sexual entanglements and it- you don't get to see the woman captain who is able to be like Kirk and sleep with three generation of some generations of some, <laughs> some woman's family um, <laughs> or you know or just like the Kirk we actually saw in the show who gets to like kiss a woman on every planet um that you would there would be more aspersions cast on a woman in authority that you wouldn't be able to follow them if they were to take that kind of action, which is obviously a semi-ridiculous double standard. So it kind of would have been cool to see Shelby, if she had been returning in the show, be able to pursue more like casual relationships.
2: Yeah, definitely. I do want to say though, that what we see in Best of Both Worlds, I like the end where her and Riker are cool with each other and she's going off to conquer the world. And Riker has, you know, taken a look at his himself and his priorities and knows what he wants, which is to stay on the enterprise. And I just, I love this whole arc with them. I love, I love where she starts and I love where she ends. And I love the journey in between.
1: Agreed. For sure. But we got some listener comments, including uh, from, Luke, who sort of was like our impetus to to bring up this episode now.
2: Yeah, he kept tweeting us. He's like, do a Shelby! I want to do it! <laughs> I want to hear a Shelby episode! And we were like, wink! So. so.
1: He wrote, I love this character. She's smart and full of drive. Thank God she doesn't become a romantic interest for Riker. <laughs>
0: We also had a comment from Heavy Metal Susan, who said, as a child with confused ideas about feminism, I didn't like her. Today I see my hero, an overqualified woman who's done putting up with men's shit. <laughs> We're allowed to say shit on this show, right?
1: Sure. <laughs> it's our show.
0: But um, she, I, I thought that was interesting because I actually remember really liking Shelby as a child, but I can see how that is one of those views that could have changed over time for someone for sure, but I, then I was thinking I was like do I like yeah i I think I actually really liked her
1: yeah we i I feel like I remember fans not liking her mm-hmm. in general, but i there's very little evidence to support that yeah i I found like niche comments yeah
0: like very small pockets of people on message boards saying some pretty You know, mean things about Shelby, but it was a very, very small number of people. And by and large the people that I was seeing were saying more like it would have been great to see her come back. She would have made a great first officer. Mm -hmm. She made a really big impact in just these two
1: episodes and I think we all agree. But as a young girl in the late 80s, early 90s, she was definitely not what we were being taught to be. But what we should have been being taught to be. That's weird sentence structure, but you know what I mean. (laughs)
0: Yes. Yeah. But I think that overall they made really good choices with her. Like, they didn't decide to have, you know, Riker come to her quarters to confront her and she's in a negligee or something. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like, she always gets to maintain her professional demeanor. And you get to see that she's someone who probably has some fun too. So that was cool. So even though this wasn't an episode review, should we still give a rating for the episode, given that we're probably not going to do a whole separate episode on Best of Both Worlds?
1: I mean, do we need to rate this episode? (laughs) Isn't it 10 out of
2: 10 all around? Always?
0: Yeah, but 10 out of 10 what?
2: I don't know, Jera. Awesomeness? 10 out of 10 awesomeness. I love this episode.
1: 10 out of 10 sleep commands. Yes. (laughs) That's my Definitely. favorite command. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ten out of ten, Wesley face palms.
1: <laughs> but None that sounds like good bad in the episode. <laughs> but, it's, but it's
0: just how epic that face palm is that oh. makes it so good. It's the best. The best Wesley face palm. <laughs> ten out of ten, beating Riker at poker. <laughs> that- oh man, there's some great moments in this episode.
1: There are. But I think that just about wraps it up for us today. Jarrah, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at JARRAH Penguin, it's Jarrah Penguin, or on
0: Tumblr at TrekkieFeminist.tumblr.com. Andy?
2: Uh, the easiest place to find me is at First Time Trek, where I live tweet through my uh, first time watching Odd Star Trek. I am finishing up Season 3 of DS9 right now
1: fantastic and i'm sue you can find me on twitter at spelltor. that's s-p-a-l-t-o-r and if you'd like to reach out to the show you can reach us on twitter at women at warp on facebook at facebook.com slash women at work on our website and blog women at warp.com or on patreon patreon.com slash women at work or by email crew at women at warp.com thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk to you next time